our reading this morning is from Rabbi Aaron Miller. It begins with a simple question. What is Hanukkah? What is Hanukkah, our ancient sages asked, he writes. For Jews, this season commemorates the miraculous victory of the Maccabees when a ragtag band of dedicated Israelites rose up to defend their tiny nation against the Seleucid army, the mightiest army in the world. The season is a time of great miracles celebrating the courage that forever shaped the Jewish future. The Maccabees, the heroes of the Hanukkah story, were Jews of faith. But they were impatient believers, trusting deeply in God, but refusing to wait for God to act. Because of their righteous impatience, the Maccabees became partners with God in transforming the world. And their courage and determination teach us that God does not act alone. As the great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once wrote in the midst of the civil rights movement, pray as if everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you. The Hanukkah miracle is about more than a grand Jewish victory. The Jewish people today celebrate Hanukkah in their homes by lighting the menorah and adding one new light with each of the eight passing days. This ritual commemorates the other Hanukkah miracle, the miracle of oil. To crush the Jewish spirit, Seleucids defiled the sacred temple and transformed it into a place of idolatry, the story goes. After overthrowing the Seleucids, the Maccabees returned to the temple to discover one unbroken jar of oil to light the ancient menorah, enough for only one night of light. Yet, instead of waiting for more oil to be made, the Maccabees lit the menorah and rededicated the temple that day, and the oil miraculously lasted for eight days. This Jewish celebration of light commemorates a, a miracle seemingly insignificant in comparison to the victory over the occupying army, but in truth, it is the same miracle. Only after we, God's partners, take that first step can we ask God to join us. The holiness of these days is found in the very origin of the word Hanukkah. The root of the word Hanukkah comes from the term Hanuk, meaning dedication. Just as the Maccabees rededicated the temple with one jar of oil, Hanukkah inspires us to teach us that to be men and women of faith, people of faith, we must become impatient believers, partners in God's miracles to be. There's a kind of ordinariness to the story of Hanukkah that I love. The book, um, the books uh, that tell the stories of the Maccabees read like adventure stories with complex characters struggling against an empire much bigger than them with nicknames. Maccabee is not the name of the family. Maccabee means the hammer. So the character is named Judah the Hammer. Eventually, the Maccabees triumph, at least for a time, and rededicate the temple on Jerusalem. And here's the miracle that we celebrate. When they get there, they only have oil to burn the temple lamp for one day, and the lamp burns for eight days, enough time to get more oil. 
this is a class of miracle I can get behind wholeheartedly. I sometimes struggle with the big supernatural miracles, parting the Red Sea, stopping the sun in the sky. But there is an incandescent light bulb in Livermore, California that has been burning continuously since 1901. This is a true story. You can look it up on the internet. <laughs> should phrase that differently. This is a true story. This is a true story. There was an NPR piece on it. <laughs> There's pictures, investigations, every, everything. So a lamp that burns for eight days instead of one, that's a, that's a miracle I can get my head around. But the meaning of Hanukkah is not found in the miracle. Although we should say that the oil in the lamp also gives rise to the other great tradition of Hanukkah, which is eating a lot of fried food. <laughs> because the oil in the lamp is the oil that you fry things in. This is true. Eating jelly donuts on Hanukkah is, is remembering rededicating the temple. Same with Hanukkah. Anyway, the meaning of Hanukkah, Aaron Miller writes, is that the Maccabees were impatient believers trusting deeply in God, but refusing to wait for God to act. Because of their righteous impatience, the Maccabees became partners with God in transforming the world, and their courage and determination teach us that God does not act alone. This framing of the story fits well with our understanding of justice in Unitarian Universalism. We are not waiting. We aren't waiting for God, or second coming, or city descending from on high to fix everything in the world. We are quite aware of the world's problems, thank you very much. And we are committed to doing what, what we can to bend the arc of the universe towards justice. Abraham Heschel asks us to pray as if everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you. And it's the first of those two clauses that Unitarian Universalists often struggle with. But who are we in the story of the Maccabees? How might we understand it in 2019? Lincoln is not under the rule of a foreign power. The story that I've, I think I've told here before, but I came back to in writing this doesn't take place in 2019 either, but it takes place 40 years ago on a fall day in Pennsylvania. Early on the morning of September 9th, 1980, seven men and one woman walked into the GE plant in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And they were not supposed to be there. They were worried that after months of planning, their mission would collapse at the last moment. The security guard saw them and saw that they were nervous and started reaching for his phone to call for backup. And as he was reaching, two of them split off, banged their hand against the phone, held him against the wall, while the rest went on to the plant floor. The factory floor 
and the ballistic missile components that were being assembled there. Minutes later, when the base security team arrived on the factory floor, nothing in their training had quite prepared them for what they had found. Several of the intruders had taken out blunt tools, hammers, and were beating on the missile components. While they beat away, the rest of the group had found the plant's file cabinets and were in the process of spilling containers of chicken blood over the paper records. When confronted by the security team, they surrendered immediately, revealing themselves to be several priests, lay leaders, and one nun. The events at the King of Prussia plant on that September morning were the first action of a group calling itself the Plowshares Movement. Phil Berrigan, the leader of that first action, was at various times a Roman Catholic priest, a leader of draft protests during the war in Vietnam, a multiple nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize for his advocacy of nuclear disarmament. Berrigan and several of his friends chose the name Plowshares Movement as a direct reference to the scripture passage in Isaiah 2 that says that they shall beat their swords into pruning hooks their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn to war no more. The plowshares movement was and is made up of religious folks who are compelled by the message of peace in scripture. And while they themselves have no hope of ending the use of weapons of mass destruction by beating on them with hammers, they certainly pray as if everything depends on God and act as if everything depends on them. They are impatient believers. More recently, the last year and a half have seen the explosion onto the world stage of Extinction Rebellion. Activists using mass civil disobedience with the underlying premise that we can no longer rely on incremental reforms. Unlike many traditional nonprofits working on the climate issue, Extinction Rebellion's operating thesis is that they need to get 3.5% of the population out into the street and willing to be disrupted by shutting down roads and getting arrested. When asked what their chances of success are, Roger Halen, one of Extinction Rebellion's founders, said, my honest opinion is the likelihood is very slight because of the difficulty of bringing about change. But this is the paradox of mobilization. The more people engage in it with an outcome-oriented motivation structure, the less likely it is to happen because they'll get disappointed more quickly. The guys who get the goods are the people who don't care if they get the goods, who engage in rebellious activity as an end in itself, not because, because they think it's immoral or outrageous not to do so. Pray as if everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you. So what would it mean for us to enter into our work in the world not caring if we would win, but because to not act would be morally suspect. This is the question that compelled the Maccabees, that haunted Phil Berrigan, and faces us today. 
how will we act? And if we act, who or what might join us? What is the candle that we light first that becomes a flame, that becomes a bonfire? The menorah burns for eight days, but it starts with one flame.